morning, church. It's good to be back. Uh, I pray uh, that I got, I got to listen last week uh, on via the Facebook Live. Uh, and for all of those who've tried to log on and watch that live, for the very first time, I tried to watch an entire service and I realized that, okay, we, gotta, we have to make that better. Uh, so uh, for those of you who've been homesick with babies and tried to watch it or been out of town and tried to watch it, uh, we are going to make that better. Uh, but it was great to be able to worship with you guys, even from, uh, even from Texas, and so we're glad to be home. But you know, there's something freeing about being able uh, to drive. We dropped our kids off at camp, and we were, they were at camp a whole week. We didn't have to ask grandma and grandpa to babysit kids. We didn't have to ask aunts or uncles or babysitters. And there was something freeing about being able to drop your kids off and not have to worry about it. Not have to call and, not have to call and check on them. Not have to worry about putting somebody out. And so it was a great time uh, that we got to enjoy uh, being away from our loving children whom we absolutely adore. We picked them up. Uh, at about nine o'clock in the morning, uh, at about 11 o'clock in the morning, my wife and I said, okay, let's go drop them back off. Uh, so we, we, we were, we had a great time while we were gone. Uh, grateful for the opportunity to go. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Second Samuel chapter seven this morning as we continue <clears throat> to walk through the book of Second Samuel chapter and verse. Second Samuel chapter seven. We're going to read verses 18 through 29. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the Davidic covenant. We walked through the covenant that God made with David. We saw that the covenant that God made with David, that God made with David was more about the covenant God and less about the covenant itself. And so we're going to look at that a little bit and see David's response to the Davidic covenant. Second Samuel chapter 7. We're going to read verses 18 through 29. Uh, there's no kids' church this morning because of Fifth Sunday, uh, so we're just going to endure the, the volume this morning, and we're going to praise God that he's given us a bunch of little kids in here to, to, to worship with us. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 18 through 29. Then David the king went and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in thine eyes. O Lord God, for thou hast spoken also of the house of thy servant concerning the distant future. And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. And again, what more can David say to thee? For thou knowest thy servant, O Lord God. For the sake of thy word and according to thine own heart, Thou hast done all of this greatness to let thy servant know. For this reason thou art great, O Lord. For there is none like you. There is no God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation on the earth is like thy people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make a name for himself, and to do a great thing for thee and awesome things for thy land before thy people whom thou hast redeemed for thyself from Egypt, from the, from the nations and from their gods. For thou hast established for thyself thy people as thine own people forever. And thou, O Lord, hast become their God. Now therefore, O Lord God, 
The word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant in his house, confirm it forever. Do not and do as thou hast spoken, that thy name may be magnified forever by saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And may the house of thy servant David be established before thee. For thou, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, has made a revelation to thy servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, thy servant has found courage to pray this prayer to thee. And now, O Lord God, thou art God, and thy words are truth, and thou hast promised this good thing to thy servant. Now, therefore, may it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken, and with thy blessings, may the house of thy servant be blessed forever. Let's pray. God, as we hear the prayer of David, May we echo his words. May we see your promises and the fulfillment of your promises. And may we stand in awe of who you are. Lord, may you speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My prayer is that when you leave here today, that you will leave in awe of a covenant God. This past week, Natalie and I got a chance to, to go to Texas, and uh, one night we had, you know, if you know my wife, you know that my wife is spontaneous so long as she has a plan. <laughs> and so before we left, before we left, Natalie had, had an itinerary of what we were going to do every day, every night, every morning. She knew what we were going to do, when we were going to do it, where we were going to go, how we were going to go. Uh, she knew everything. And so one night we had, we had plans. We were going to go, uh, we were going to meet up with my cousin who lives in Austin and we were going to eat dinner. And then from there we were going to go hear this band play. And, you know, we, she, she had it marked out by the, by the hour and the minute. And we were going to, we were going to, this is, this was our plan. Well, on our way to the restaurant, we were going to eat at this pizza joint, this local pizza joint that, that, that my, my cousin said, this is, this is, you know, a, a great local pizza joint. This is where you need to go eat. And so we said, great, we'll go eat there. Well, on the way there, he says, yeah, I, I got caught up. I'm busy. I'm not going to be able to meet you guys. So already, Natalie's plan is not, it's not coming to fruition. So, so, so she's already kind of bummed out. And then we walk into this pizza joint, and it's one of those places where they have, they don't have like individual tables, but they've got those long, like 25 foot picnic tables, you know, and you walk in and you're just sitting next to whoever you're sitting next to. And she goes, Oh, I hate these kind of places. <laughs> and so she's already bummed out. And so her plan is not working. And so we go up and we say, and I said, well, we're here. We don't know where, you know, we're in a place that we don't know where else to go. So you know, we're, we're eating here. She goes, fine. So we go up and we order our pizza and uh, we, you know, we, we look around and we find the, you know, the most inconspicuous place that we have to be or, or, or that we can be where we can sit next to somebody and not actually talk to somebody. Uh, and so we sit down at this table with these two other people. And, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking, don't talk to us, don't talk to us, come on, let, let, you know, let us, let us just, let, let's just eat our pizza, you know, you know, like the, like the, you know, pastor should be, the pastor's wife should be, you know, you know, we, we, we don't want anybody to talk to us, we don't want to be, be convicted by the Lord to actually share the gospel with someone because we're on vacation, right, and, and I shouldn't have to be a pastor on vacation, right, well, we sit down and, and, you know, we exchange pleasantries. Hey, how are you? Nice to see you. Yada, yada, yada. Well, 
for whatever reason, uh, we, we hear this couple talking. And we can tell uh, that uh, they are recently engaged and they're uh, talking about their wedding. And so, you know, Natalie's mouthing to me, oh, they just got engaged, you know. And, and, and so, <clears throat> so we're, we're, we're sitting here talking and, you know, we're, we're trying to talk and we uh, look up at the TV and uh, Aaron Nola's pitching and Aaron is Natalie's cousin. And so uh, I'd say, oh, Aaron's pitching. Well, the guy naturally sitting next to you goes, Oh, do you know that guy? And so I'm like, great, now i got to talk to this guy. <laughs> so, so I say, yeah, that, that's my wife's cousin. So, you know, we, we enter into a conversation. And so, you know, we say, you know, we you know, heard you guys, you know, heard, you, heard y'all talking, y'all getting married. And so we begin this conversation. Well, it turns out they're a really, really sweet couple. His name is Stephen. Her name is Sydney. And we start talking. And they say, yeah, we just got, you know, we just got engaged a few months ago. And, you know, we're fixing to move to New Braunfels and all this kind of stuff. And, and, but we just found out we're pregnant. And my wife goes, really? And she said, she said, yeah. And she said, well, when did y'all find out? She said, yesterday. And she said, we haven't told anybody. Like, we haven't told her parents. We haven't told our parents. Like, in fact, that's why we're meeting here today, because we're trying to figure out what to do. You know, we don't know. You know, we're, the wedding is planned for next summer. Do we wait till next summer? What do we do? And so, in, you know, we've, we've been having this conversation now for 15, 20 minutes. And along the conversation, uh, the guy says, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> And so I never lead with, oh, I'm a pastor. You know, I always reserve that because anytime you tell somebody you're a pastor, they, they begin rewinding the conversation and they think, oh my gosh, did, did, did I say something? Did I curse? You know, did, what, what did I say? And they immediately go into the defensive. So I never lead with, I'm a pastor. Uh, well, you know, this guy finds out that I'm a pastor and the girl's eyes just light up because... They are sitting here, and they, they don't know what to do. Life has just thrown them a curve. They, they don't know what decisions they're going to make. And, and, and God, by His great grace and by His great mercy, allowed us to not be there with my cousin, because had we been there with my cousin, we would have never engaged them in conversation. He allowed there to be Natalie's cousin pitching on the television so that we would by force, just by happenstance, engage in conversation with this couple that was next to us. He, he's, he worked and orchestrated everything so that we'd walk into a pizza joint that didn't have individual tables. As we leave, as Natalie and I leave, you know, we, we were able to share with them the gospel. We were able to share with them the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus. As we leave, Natalie and I looked at each other and we say, you know, God's purpose and God's plan is going to happen no matter what. And as we get into the book of 2 Samuel, there is an inevitability about the covenant of God. As we read through the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7, we get to the end of the covenant promise. And what we find, as we concluded two weeks ago, what we find is that the promises of God are going to be fulfilled in spite of death. Even if David dies, 
the covenant promises of God are going to be fulfilled. Even if Solomon dies, the covenant promises of God are going to be fulfilled because the purpose of God will not be quelled by death. It will not be quelled by sin. It will not be quelled by time. We see that the covenant promises of God will will overwhelm death, sin, and time. And so the response of David to this covenant God is what we're going to look at today. 2 Samuel chapter 7, we read in verses 18 through 29, David's response. David's response tells us about who God is. And so we look at, we look at David's response to God's inevitability in his purposes. And David's response as we begin is awe. I want us to understand, David begins this prayer, and most of us in our Bibles, we have little subheadings, right? And many of your Bibles are going to say David's prayer. Well, most of us pray like we, like, like most of us pray. My kids, anytime they pray, they say, God, thank you for this, thank you for that, and then they begin with a grocery list, right? And that's how we pray. We say, oh, God, thank you for giving us this wonderful day, yada, yada, yada. And then, and then we go into, but what I really want, what I really need is this, 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 and this. And that is, the, that is the emphasis of our prayer is this petition that we have, this supplication that we bring to God. But I want us to notice David's prayer. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look at verse 18, 19, and 20. And I want us to see where David starts. Then David the king went in and he sat down before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? What is my house that you've brought me this far? For those of you who have the these and the thous in in the text, uh, you can just replace those with you and your. It's the same thing. So as you're reading it and you see thee and thou and thine, just replace it with you and yours. It reads the same. Verse 18, the David, the king, he went and sat before the God. He went and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God. For you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. And again, what more can David say to you? For you know thy servant, O Lord God. David goes before God and he is in awe and wonder and he sits before God and he he falls on his face before God and he says God after hearing your word after hearing the promises that you've promised to me through your prophet Nathan after hearing your word hearing about your covenant love hearing that your purpose is going to be fulfilled no matter what even if I screw up even if my kids screw up even if we die that you will fulfill your promises I am in awe I am and in wonder. David's response to God, David's prayer to God is not a prayer of petition. It's a prayer of wonder. It's a prayer of awe. When was the last time you were in awe of God and his covenant promises? When was the last time you were in awe of who God is? And I want us to understand that David understands himself. Look at what it says in chapter 7, verse 20. 
Again, what more can David say to you? For you knowest your servant, O Lord God. Now, this word, know your servant, is the Hebrew word yada. That Hebrew word is translated into English to know. But it's lost in translation. This Hebrew word to know carries with it a connotation that that is much greater than intellectual assent and intellectual knowledge. If I say that that I know my wife or that I know uh, 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 I know who won the Super Bowl or I know this or I know that, we we automatically hear the word know comes from the word knowledge. Uh, uh, we think of, of omniscience. We think of, of, of cognitive understanding. The word yada in the Hebrew is not simply cognitive understanding. In the Hebrew language, there is no word for, for sexual intercourse. There is no word for intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. There is no word uh, for that for that sexual union that, that creates the deepest level of intimacy and knowledge. The word that is used in Hebrew is yada. Whenever the scripture says, and Adam knew his wife, the word that they use is yada. Whenever the Bible in the Old Testament talks about the most intimate relationship, the deepest understanding, the deepest relationship and intimacy and knowledge, it uses the word yada. And so what David is saying is he's saying, God, you know me on the deepest, most intimate level and you still chose to take me out of the field, to bring me unto yourself, to protect me as Saul tried to kill me a thousand times, to lead me through the wilderness, to protect me from myself. When Abigail, you sent Abigail to protect me from myself and my own sin and my own destruction. You know me. You know my my wickedness. You know my failures. You know my faults. You know everything that there is to know me. And you love me. And you care for me. And you provide for me. And you protect me. And you bless me anyway. David said, that is a God that makes me wonder. One of the most one of the most baffling things that that I experience on a daily basis is the fact that my wife is still married to me. Why? Because she knows me. She sees me when I lose my cool. She sees me in the ugliest moments of my life. She sees me when I screw up. She sees me whenever I don't act like a pastor. She sees me whenever, and, and, and in fact, a lot of times she'll say, okay, I, I need you to be in pastor mode because right now you're not, and I don't like that guy. And, and she knows me. She knows every aspect about me. And she loves me anyway. 
That is a demonstration of God's grace. And what David is saying is that he is brought to a place of awe and wonder because God, you know me. And you still chose to pull me out and set my feet upon the rock. It is His grace that brings David to wonder because of his yada, because of his intimate knowledge of David. And as David continues his prayer, he is in awe, he is in wonder. And then he begins to look at Israel. He said, not only, God, am I in awe of who you are because you loved me and chose me and called me, but you have called for yourself a people. And as we get to chapters, uh, chapter 7, as we get to verses 21 and uh, 23 and through, through 24 and 25, he begins to talk about his relationship with Israel. So let's drop down to verse 23. So David is talking and he is, he is reflecting upon God's care for not only himself, but for Israel. He says, and what one nation on the earth is like the people Israel? whom God went to redeem for Himself as a people and to make a name for Himself, to do a great thing, to do awesome things for thy land before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt and from the nations and from their gods. For you have established for yourself the people of Israel as your own people forever. And you, O Lord God, have become their God. I want us to notice that there are there are three aspects about this passage, three aspects that I want us to pick up. First of all, Israel was unique. He begins in verse 23. He says, there is no other nation like you, Israel. Why? Because you have been redeemed. Something I want to point out to you, the nation of Israel is the only, the only nation on the face of the planet whose language has ever been considered extinct and then been revived. It's the only language on the face of the planet that has ever become extinct and then experienced a resurrection or a revival. The, na- the, lang- the Hebrew language was considered extinct after the exile. After the exile, the, the Hebrew people were, were, uh, were conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and then by the Persians, and their language was considered by all accounts extinct. And in 1948, whenever Israel became a nation again, the nation of Israel named the Hebrew language their national language, reviving a dead language. The nation of Israel is the only nation in the history of the world to ever experience exile and yet remain a distinct people group, a distinct ethnic group. It's the only nation in the history of the world from the, civil, from the dawn of civilization in Mesopotamia to now to ever experience exile. And there have been hundreds and thousands of people who have experienced conquer and exile that, that, that have been melded into the culture that conquered them and exiled them. But Israel is the only nation, the only ethnic group, the only people to ever experience exile and remain a people group. Why? Because they are the seed, they are the promise of God's redemption. Notice what David says here in chapter 7. In chapter 7, verse 23, he says, What nation, for one nation on the earth is like the people of Israel? He says, What, what, what other nation is like there? For God went 
to redeem them for himself as a people. To make a name for himself. To do great things and awesome things. What makes Israel unique is the redemption of God. There is no other nation that has been redeemed by God. The redemption is an aspect of Israel's uniqueness. But I want us to understand that Israel was not only redeemed from bondage. Redemption always has two There are two sides to the coin of redemption. We are redeemed from bondage and we are redeemed to or for a purpose. Israel was redeemed from Egypt so that God could make them for himself. They were redeemed out of bondage for himself. We as Christians are redeemed from the bondage of sin. We are redeemed out of sin and we are redeemed to good works. We are redeemed for good works. Jesus said it like this, so let your good works shine so that they may see the works of your Father. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, we understand that we are redeemed out of bondage for good works. We are redeemed out of death, out of our sin, so that we can live to fulfill God's purpose and God's promise. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm sorry, Chris, I didn't give you this one. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Wants to see this in the New Testament. Israel was redeemed out of Egypt so that God could make them a people. They were redeemed from bondage so that God could give them a purpose. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Every one of us like to read this passage. We like to read 8 and 9. But 8 and 9 isn't the end. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. That is the redemption out of bondage part. This is the purpose that God has redeemed us to. This is what He has redeemed us for. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which has been prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our good works doesn't save us. We are saved by His grace and His mercy alone. We are redeemed out of bondage because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But that isn't the end of the story. We are redeemed out of bondage so that we are created for His workmanship to do good works. Do you see two sides of that coin? Israel was redeemed out of bondage in Egypt so that they could be God's people and shine a light to a pagan world. We are redeemed out of sin, out of death, so that we can shine a light to a lost and dying world. Matthew chapter 5, So so let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Your works don't bring salvation. Jesus brings salvation. Your works shine a light so that the world looks at you and says, what an awesome God. What an awesome, awesome God. Israel is unique in their redemption. Israel is redeemed from bondage and redeemed for a purpose. I want us to see also that the duration of God's people because of God not the people. Look at the text. Look at the text in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I want us to understand that this is not about Israel. This is about the covenant God, just like the covenant was not about the covenant, it was about the covenant God. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 24. For you have established for yourself a people, Israel, as your own people forever, and you, O Lord, has become their God. Verse 26. 
Why? So that your name might be magnified forever. It was not about Israel. It was about God. It was about His name, His glory. God had established a people. God would preserve His people. God had redeemed a people and God was going to preserve His people for His great name. This flies in the face of our egocentric, individualistic, national, American ideology. We think that that God loved us and God saved us and God called us because there's something about us. God loved us, saved us, called us, sent us, not because there's something great and mighty about us, but because there's something great and mighty and awesome about Him. And He has called us and He has sent us so that we might, might proclaim and might magnify His great name. Why did God preserve Israel? Because Israel was, was great and wonderful and because Israel did all these great things. No, look at the history of Israel. Israel was, they were, they were a bunch of idolatrous pagan people. Every time they got a chance, they screwed up. Sound familiar? Every time they got a chance, they messed it up. Every time God blessed them, they said, thanks God, but we can do it on our own. Every time God sent them grace after grace and deliverance after deliverance, they said, thanks God, we got this from here. Sound familiar? But God said, you know what? It's not about you. It's about my great name. It's about my glory. It's about me proclaiming my goodness. And so I'm going to preserve you even though you're rotten. Even though you don't deserve it, I'm going to show you grace because of my great name. And then I want us to see not only how God redeems Israel, not only how God preserves Israel for His great name, but then God blesses them. And how does God bless Israel? He blesses them with Himself. He said, you'll be my people and I will be your God. I will call you, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. I'll redeem you, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. I will preserve you, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. And I will bless you with me, with a God who is not like any other God. I will bless you with a God who leaves the glory of heaven and comes down to take on flesh and lives in the broken world that you've broken and is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and I will take upon myself God of the creator the, the creator God will come down to heaven will put on flesh will take upon himself the sin of mankind and will endure the wrath of God and as God looked down from heaven as God the Father looked down from heaven and the wrath of God was poured out upon sin God himself endured the wrath that was due you and I. God blesses Israel with Himself. He said, I will be your abiding presence. And as Jesus leaves, as Jesus endured the wrath of God, was buried in a borrowed tomb and ascended to the Father, Jesus said, not only will I, will I take your sin and carry the burden of your sin. But then when I leave, I will give you myself as an abiding presence. And we read in John chapter 14 that Jesus prays that the Father would send him the whole sin, the, the, the people, send his followers, those who believe in him, those who trust in him, those who have been redeemed, 
those who have been preserved. God will bless them with himself. And Jesus said, Father, I pray that you will send them a helper, the paraclete, who equip them, guide them, teach them all things, the Holy Spirit. And God sends us the Holy Spirit who abides within us, who lives within us, who convicts us of sin, who spurs us on to obedience, who is sitting in the very restaurant with us, with me and my wife and Sydney and Stephen, as we sit there and we say, I don't want to do this. I want to have a a nice conversation with me and my wife and not engage in anything. But the Holy Spirit says, no, you're going to do what I want you to do. You're going to be fulfilled for my purpose. You're going to be redeemed out of bondage for a purpose to demonstrate the glory of God. And God sends us himself. And when we leave that restaurant, I am so grateful that God sent himself and that it dwells within me because there was nothing in me that wanted to engage with Sidney and Stephen. But by the grace of God, his purposes will not be stopped. And God's Spirit lives inside of us. And He blesses us. And He preserves us. And He gives us Himself. What greater glory could God pour out upon His people than His abiding presence? God redeems us. God preserves us. And God blesses us. Because we deserve it? No. That's why David comes to this prayer and he says, Who am I? You pour out your grace. As we come to this place in our lives, if you've been redeemed, if you have received the gift of salvation through Jesus and Jesus alone, may you come to the place in your understanding of salvation where you come to God and you say, Wow. Wow. Who am I? Isaiah said, I'm a worm. Why would you pour out upon me grace? David said countless times, we we read this morning in Psalm chapter 8, David said, who is man that you are mindful of him? Who am I? We ought to be in awe. Because God in His great grace and in His great mercy looked down from the glory of heaven and He chose us. It's interesting. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Go with me if you will. We'll we'll finish up here. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. Some of the most misunderstood passages in all of the book of Romans. Chapter 28 and 29. For we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him. Those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 29. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. I want us to understand, this word foreknew has the same relationship in the Greek language that the Hebrew word yada does in the Hebrew language. Knowledge that's referenced here in the book of Romans is not cognitive awareness. But those whom God knew, like a husband knew his wife, those whom God knew beforehand, those whom God had chosen, and by God's grace and by God's mercy, God has chosen you. Not because there's anything good in you, 
but because he is gracious and kind and loving and merciful. And our response to a God who chose us is, wow. Why? Why would you choose me? He chose you to redeem you out of bondage for a purpose. What is that purpose? What has he called you to? Let's pray. God, I thank you that there is no other God like you. I thank you that there is no other God who came down to have came down from heaven and lived on this earth and became a man and bore our sin that we might have a relationship with you. I thank you that in your great grace and in your great mercy you chose to pour out your grace to me. God, I pray if there's someone here this morning who for the very first time is in awe that you would give your life for them. For the very first time they realize that the salvation that you have given is because you love them and you chose them for your purpose and your glory. If that's you, in just a few moments, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. When we do, I want to invite you to come and just be in awe of what God has done. Maybe this morning, you're a believer, you've trusted in Jesus, but you've been so caught up in life that you have forgotten how awesome, how marvelous God's grace is. And you simply need to come to this altar just be in awe of who God is. Or maybe this morning you have a broken relationship. Maybe your sin in your own mind has fragmented your relationship and God is reminding you that nothing will separate you from my love. No sin, no death, no time, that there is nothing that will prevent my purpose and my grace and my mercy from being poured out to you. Maybe you need to come and do business with the Holy Spirit this morning. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would have its freedom to work in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.